I actually started um, uh, riding motorcycles when I was 16 or racing. Uh, sort of helped a mate of mine out on uh, a Kilani in the on the short circuit racing 50 cc's, and they had a mechanics race at the end of the year, and I rode that and thoroughly enjoyed it. So I ended up buying a an RZ50 from Greg Dreyer and started racing 50 cc uh, RZ50 on the short circuit Kilani, and that's kind of where my passion for riding started. Um, and, um, and that was all facilitated. Uh, my folks went to, to the USA with my sister for, a for a holiday. And I said, um, could I have the, the money to buy a motorbike rather than go overseas and kudos to my, my parents. Uh, my father said, yes, you can, but you've got to go and spend a month at Conradi spinal unit, uh, before you buy a motorbike. So I did that and I think he thought that would put me off. Uh, but it didn't, and it's quite funny later in life how spinal injuries have been a recurring theme in my life. So um, that's kind of where it started, and then I went to to school in you know in the Western Cape. Uh, then did national service, um, caught up to infantry, and then I uh, my second calling was to uh, to the medics, which is just fortuitous. And I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. Came back, uh, rewrote my trick to get uh, marks good enough to get into varsity, went to UCT and studied my medicine at UCT. Uh, then worked overseas, uh, worked locally, um, then went into a trauma rotation and uh, eventually uh, ended up in a neurosurgical registrar job. Uh, and I was there for 18 months. Um, when uh, this accident that I think a lot of people have heard about now where Alan Selby uh, broke his neck in a motorcycle accident uh, at an Enduro outside Robertson and I was in attendance with my young son and uh, unfortunately he didn't survive and uh, I said to my son Matthew who was four at the time, well that's, that's it, you're not riding motorbikes until I figure this out. So a lot of research um, and trying to understand the mechanism of causation of motorcycle accidents and divide some, uh, devise some kind of device that would uh, mitigate those. Um, and eventually I gave up medicine. I said to my prof, I want a year out. And, well, that was, you know, almost 20 years ago. So um, so it's been a, it's been a, a long journey. Um, and, uh, yeah, I never went back to medicine and been innovating uh, and doing research in this space ever since. Take us – just give us a brief – kind of idea of some of the processes that you that you went through to get to this point where someone can first put this brace around their neck mm. so at, at the beginning it was it was sort of purely academic it's just how do people break their necks and what could you do to limit neck injuries and um, and you know like you have airbags and self-aligning head restraints in a car uh, I concluded that if you had something around your neck at all times, it would be there uh, when it was needed, uh, and uh, devised this concept of an alternative load path. So if you fall off without a helmet, the force is going to grow from the ground to the helmet, to your skull, to your skull base, to your neck, to the rest of your torso, but it's actually loaded in the opposite direction. So it's the weight of your torso and the inertia of your torso hitting the, where your head hits the ground that loads your neck. And with the neck brace or a platform underneath your helmet in place, the helmet will rotate and touch the platform and unload some of the force that was going to go through your neck. And if you can unload some of the force, uh, then your uh, the, the threshold for neck injury is less likely to be achieved. 
Um, and recently, there was an EMS action sports study published in the US looking at a data set of almost 10 years and almost 10,000 accidents, where there was an 89% reduction in the likelihood of having a neck injury if you wore a neck brace. Um, and so, you know, we've done a lot of testing in-house, and we had to do that before we, uh, before we launched the product. Um, and that was another significant challenge because there, there aren't test protocols and there, aren't, there isn't test equipment for this specific type of testing. So we developed some in-house tests. We developed a mathematical surrogate, a, a computer simulation software. Uh, we were fortunate enough to go to BMW in Munich and use their lab and do, uh, use their crash test dummies and do the testing there. And we all came – all sort of test results pointed in the same direction and um, – and the engineers at BMW uh, sort of reached the same opinion we did, uh, is that this is the, the, the right uh, design to mitigate against injuries. And uh, while I was there testing, um, they'd had a lot of submissions from people around the world who were trying to work on neck injuries, um, mostly because of uh, at that stage BMW was riding the Dakar. And between BMW and KTM, they were losing a rider at least a year to a neck injury. I mean, it was a really entrenched problem. Um, and uh, with the neck brace on, subsequent to that, there have been no neck injuries. So um, it, it, it was an effective strategy. And one of those unusual uh, products where both KTM and BMW um, launched the product simultaneously in conjunction with us. Um, and... Uh, so there was a huge amount of testing and then obviously production. So we started production in, in South Africa, you know, uh, doing it ourselves. And then soon realized, you know, this is a new company, huge amount of R&D and research and testing required, plus setting up a business and distribution. Um, so we outsourced manufacture to China where the company essentially only manufactures for us, but we can control the, the, the quality control uh, really tightly. Um, and that's when we were really able to – in 2007, sort of ramp up production and, and offered for sale in the US. And uh, then in 2007, uh, the, the ex-motocross rider from the 80s was paralyzed. He had a he had a thoracic spine injury, not a not a cervical spine injury. David Bailey went uh, sort of called out all his fellow riders and said, you know, you should all be using this. And that's what really uh, moved the dial for us in terms of the business. It's not just a matter of of designing or looking at a, a set of stats as such, it's also taking the practicality involved in all of it, isn't it? Because it's you can't just put something around a guy's neck. Is it practical? How do you carry it on the motorcycle? And, and how do you ride with that kind of limitation? Because inevitably it will be or it was a limitation until you got to something quite refined. Uh, and you know it's 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 still being refined and it's becoming you know more comfortable, more adjustable, more ergonomic. But uh, in in order to reduce neck injuries, you know a stainless steel ring around your neck would actually work quite well. <laughs> um, it would be somewhat impractical and cause other injuries. Uh, so you have to find the balance. And there's an enormous amount of engineering that's gone into not just the ergonomics and the fit of the brace to the body, which uh, there was a huge amount of work, but actually how that brace behaves in an, in an accident. So we've got a number of impactors which cause uh, the brace to, to be damaged in the same way as we see it in, in the real world, to understand uh, the material properties of the brace. And if we launch a new version, that's got to behave in the same way as the previous version uh, behaved. 
So, um, you know, what, what we did uh, early on, and in fact, we just revised it last year, is to develop a white paper on the research and development efforts that, that, we, that we made towards this product. And like our testing and our white paper, we just put it all on, the, on our website because we believe that uh, I'm, I'm not sure a huge amount of people read it, but it's there for consumption and for dissection. Um, and, uh, you know, people can make up their own mind because I think informed choice in terms of safety apparel is uh, is paramount so all of a sudden <clears throat> i'm sure your life is is occupied by not just designing and refining this product but there's a whole lot of other systems or features and and like you say papers coming coming into it as well you now have to present something to the world sell it and convince people that this is the right thing to do Absolutely, and uh, you know, one of my bugbears is the mulligating agencies, is the the people responsible for making decisions and telling um, telling riders what they should and shouldn't do. I mean, we know that helmet standards, for example, are now evolving, uh, but that for a long time they just didn't evolve. You know, uh, there was one set of standards that, in many instances, was was fairly arbitrary uh, in terms of uh, head injuries and helmets. Uh, but it's now been re revised, and there's a new standard about to be launched by the FIM, which is really a good standard. Um, and we're hoping that they'll adopt a similar uh, sort of way of reviewing um, the neck brace. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a con it's a it's a constant talking point of how to educate the public, how to educate the the, the people making the rules uh, to understand this product and how it. Uh, how and when it should be used. I, I can almost guarantee you that, you know, the, the whole thing, all the gear, all the time at GET. I mean, these days, it's such a, it's such a standard thing anyway. And half the time, more than half the time, your product is around the rider's neck. So, so whether someone wants to approve it or wants to homologate it, it is so accept, accepted as a norm now. You have to have that thing that brace think, around your neck. I yeah, mean, it's look, I, mean, it's, I think we've, we've, it's been proven in independent studies as well as the, the work we've done. I mean, I don't think there's, um, there's, there's, there's much room for debate on the e efficacy of the neck brace and whether it actually reduces neck injuries or not and whether it's safe to use. Um, but you'll see in South Africa, that, you know, especially in the adventure market and, and off-road motorcycling and now uh, you know, downhill and, and the bicycle market, uh, it's been accepted and it's uh, commonplace. Um, but it's, it's strange as you go throughout the world, there are pockets where it is very prevalent and pockets where it's not. And what typically happens is, uh, uh, you know, often athlete managers will, will say to them, the, when trainers will say to them, you know, take it off, you'll go faster. And if you look at the high-profile riders that can race uh, and win races with it on, um, that, that doesn't necessarily make sense. But uh, a lot of younger riders will wear the product and they'll get to a point where uh, their trainer will say to them, you know, why didn't you try riding without a brace? And then they take it off. And then there's a somebody has a significant injury, then people put it back on again. And so there are these trends that fluctuate throughout time. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. It didn't. It didn't just stop there. It didn't just stop at the brace, did it? it it's now the, the 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 development for the rest of the rider and the sport has developed far Absolutely. beyond that. So, um, you know, much like I was talking about the FIM standard, that's now a really good standard. It uh, it, it uses 
the right forces, and it also looks at rotational acceleration in the head, which is which is hugely important. Um, uh, and so hopefully that will happen in the industry in terms of the product evaluation. But what we do when we design a product is we don't typically look at what else is on the market uh, and take that as a starting point. We rather say, if you're trying to limit a specific type of injury, uh, how would you go about limiting that injury? So, you know, our knee braces, I, I believe, is, are revolutionary. We have a shoulder braces revolutionary. Um, our helmets uh, are, have uh, low-speed linear uh, acceleration damping as well as rotational acceleration mitigation. Um, our boots, um, if you just look at our boots, so what we did is we we did a complete literature review of, of how people were injuring their ankles uh, and their lower limbs in motocross specifically, um, and then looked at the boots that were in the market, and we replicated it using um, uh, some landmine uh, test equipment at Donnell um, to, 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 to uh, in, induce high enough forces in the lower limb. Um, it's a platform that's accelerated upwards. And we looked at all the boots in the market, uh, and then essentially we cut out the middle of a boot, put it back on the rider, we got much better results. Uh, and that's because uh, everybody was preventing initial ankle escape. So um, so we created this alternative load path, which is a theme throughout the business, with initial load escape. And all of a sudden, we can reduce the tibial forces and the ankle forces by half using our boot compared to other boots, uh, you know, up to half. Um, and uh, and so that's really, you know, the starting point is not accepting what is commonplace, but really dissecting what the problem is and trying to come up with a, a solution. I remember reading a, a thing on, I think it was Wild Dogs, um, where it said it was a it was just a localized study that was done that how much or how many people broke their legs above their ankle inside the boot. I mean, and that was phenomenal. And I was like, well. What's the purpose of wearing a super hard boot to protect your ankle and your foot? But a hell of a lot of these injuries, and there's a few, there's a few people that I know personally that broke their legs below the knee, above the ankle, inside the boot. Look, you know, you um, you, you certainly can't stop all uh, accidents, but you really, if you're going to produce, put a product to the market, should understand the accident dynamics and do what is possible. So. Essentially, we try and offload the force uh, as better, best as possible, uh, allowing initial escape. That's why the head is free to move with a neck brace. If you constrain the, the helmet right onto the, the neck brace, that's, uh, it doesn't allow initial head escape. So you've got to allow head escape or ankle escape initially, and then you've got to create an alternative load path where it locks out and transfers the force elsewhere. And it's amazing how much uh, improvement. I mean, you know, you know, you're not talking 5%, 10% in improvement. You're talking about significant differences. What I of, often look at is um, is an injury threshold. Let's say it takes 4,000 newtons, 400 kilograms of axial force, you know, directly up and down the neck to cause a fracture. But if you can reduce uh, using an alternative load path, the, the amount of energy that's transferred the neck by just 20%, the number of people who get to that 4,000 threshold is dramatically reduced. And so you're not making a 20% impact on injury. You're making significant impact on injuries, You know, maybe 50%, 60% by, by having a 20% reduction in forces. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's sort of you know, our thesis, and it has been from the beginning. Are you are you physically involved 
in testing these, this equipment yourself? Um, I mean, would you put a neck brace on and go and ride with it and feel it out and a knee brace and, and things like that? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm constantly a guinea pig because I ride motorcycles and bicycles. I'm always testing some something. Uh, but obviously, you know, we've in in Cape Town we have a very sophisticated lab. We have um, very sophisticated uh, crash test uh, equipment, hybrid speed dummies, motorcycle specific uh, necks, um, helmet drop rigs that are all uh, uh, you know the the latest ECE standards. And uh, so we can we can you know we can test and, and understand that our test results stand up to the rest of the world. Um, so what is a what is a Monday morning like around the around the meeting table? Hey guys, I used this brace this morning. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's up to no good. I almost hit shit. Um, it's a, I tell you, during COVID, it's a little bit different huh, because the meeting table is now Zoom or something. Um, yeah, I mean it's just funny. Things have a have their own timeline now. So. You know, there are periods where you sit and work on things um, and it seems to go on forever. And then there are periods where it's just absolutely, you know, insanely busy uh, and things uh, happen when they happen. So traditionally, now we have to follow uh, the marketing and sales trends. You know, a product has to be ready by a certain date in order to reach the market. But when it's a new product, it kind of reaches the market when we believe it's the right time to reach the market. And we have, as you say, a number of test levels. So all of us that ride within the business, and there's a number of us that do, um, will test the product you know, for fit, form, and function. And then we'll refine it. And then we have a, a number of local riders that are professional riders who will test it. And then we'll have once we get those results, we'll ship it out to the US and Europe where we have another set of test riders who will test with it. And we keep on refining it until we get to the point that um, we're confident enough to put it onto the market. We're always uh, um, uh, interested by the fact that, you know, you think you've got the answer, then you send it to a few riders overseas. Uh, and, you know, eight out of 10 have got no problem with it. And two out of 10 come up with a, you know, a comment that makes you change the product. So, so um, yeah, I mean it's a it, it's a long process. It, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, I'm sure you would never have thought years ago when you when your dad said to you you have to go and work in this in this medical unit that this would have taken you to this level of points. I mean, to the to, to the extent that you're not practicing anymore. Certainly not on a medical level, but but have a far greater impact um, on something completely related in in a in a very important way. So is there any any interesting developments that you feel that you want to share with us that's something that we can look forward to? Or, or? Um, they always are. Uh, and the, part of, the problem, of course, is being a publicly traded company and uh, not wanting our, uh, to let our competition into what we're doing. Um, you'll see these products roll out over time. But I think, uh, as you can see, Let is now a head-to-toe brand. Uh, it used to be off-road motorcycle specific. We now, um, obviously, in the bicycle market, um, and then I think they're, they're, they're natural extensions for us in both the sports that we're currently in, as well as other sports, and uh, and increasing our, our, our offering within the pro- current uh, product market. So, you know, we try and innovate as much as possible where we see there's a gap in the market, and for the rest, we you know we we building out a brand. And what's what's really exciting for us, and, and has become apparent during the the COVID period, is people are actually seeking out our product now, not just because of the science behind it, but because also our apparel is becoming cool and it's a cool brand. 
And that is a major shift for us. You know, we were very scientific based and in our heads. And now it's, you know, now it's, it's a cool brand. We've always been a family business. I mean, the everybody and our distributors, uh, it's like one big family. And we've, we've had a long relationship and a fantastic relationship with our in, in, industry uh, people. But, um, yeah, it's just just exciting to see how, how the the, the product is developed and, and the horizontals and verticals they continue to, to develop it's it's certainly an honor for me anyway to, to to speak to you because it's not just a brand there's a guy and and I'm talking to him right now and I think for us as users of the product um it's it's great to know that it's a real person it's not just a fancy name that someone created um on a on a computer with graphics there is that guy dr chris liat and i thank you for your time and and thank you for what you do for the industry um yeah um, it's quite funny our name was a holding pattern i mean we didn't intend to call the company liat uh, but because it's such an unusual surname it kind of just stuck and then we we, we revisited renaming the company and we said oh, you know it's it's unique so let's just keep it that way fabulous chris thank you so much <laughs> I'm sure we'll, there'll there'll be future chats and 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 developments and and things that we will keep our eye on and uh, and uh, chat to you again soon. Thank you. Just a reminder that if you would like to communicate or get hold of any of our guests on the show, please go into the show notes. You'll find all the relevant information there.